Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. And so if you're doing work that you find unfulfilling, if you're not happy, if you look at your life and you're just like, this is drudgery, dude, it's within your power to change it. And not only that, but what kind of disservice are you doing to yourself by not pursuing that if it's there for you to have? So that's kind of the way I talk with new people who are looking at moving into entrepreneurship. If you are feeling depressed, if you are feeling like down on yourself, one of the things that you need to do is you need to be grateful and you need to recognize all of the good things that you have in your life. Jason Stapleton is an American entrepreneur, podcaster, business coach, and trusted marketing and brand consultant. He grew his first company, Trade Empowered, into a multi-million dollar brand as one of the largest and most well-respected trading education companies in the world. Six years after founding Trade Empowered, Jason started the Jason Stapleton Program, a podcast focused on economics and current events. Within 18 months, his podcast was the number one libertarian podcast on iTunes with over 30,000 daily listeners. Today, Jason teaches aspiring entrepreneurs how to bridge the gap between nine to five employment and a life of true freedom, as well as coaching established entrepreneurs on increasing the influence they have in their market so they can maximize their profits and create a more abundant and rewarding life. Getting to interview Jason was a gift. I absolutely loved how he experiences such success across different industries, and it's all rooted in helping others to live the life of their dreams, to consider their happiness, and his commitment to go on these journeys as a guide is absolutely extraordinary. Stay tuned to learn about how to create a good story about yourself and a good personal brand that you can take with you for years to come. And identify your priorities and just get after life and really capture life with a zest and an exuberance that Jason has. I'm excited for you to listen to today's episode with today's person of purpose, Jason Stapleton. Good morning, Jason Stapleton, and welcome to the People of Purpose podcast. Wonderful to have you here today. Well, thank you very much for having me. <laughs> yeah, so I, I really enjoy getting to check out your work um, and see the kind of influence you have in the marketplace. And I really think that you, you've lived by the kind of the principles that you've, you've discussed um, in how to live this life of freedom and how to brand yourself and create a business that's not really dependent on outside forces, you know, dictating your success. You get to kind of own your own brand, own your journey. And that really speaks to me a lot. Thank you for doing what you do. Uh, well, thank you for saying that. It's a, it, that's a, that is a difficult thing for a lot of people to, um, to, to actually practice. I think a lot of people like to say they believe in personal responsibility, but then we're always trying to lay our problems off on somebody else. And so um, I, it's a, it's a, it's a, largely unpalatable thing for a lot of people. And so I appreciate you saying that, uh, that you got a lot out of it. Cause I've always, I've always gotten the most out of life by, by kind of viewing it as, as I'm in charge and it's, it's, if things don't go my way, it's kind of my fault. And uh, while that can be misconstrued as being very negative, I find it to be really liberating, uh, to be able to look at the world that way. So, uh, it's always nice when I meet people who feel the same way. Yeah. Awesome. 
And then I just love the concept behind what you're doing too. Like, um, so my background um, and my listeners know is I, I kind of had my coming of age in Thailand. I moved there when I was 23. Um, I lived there the majority of the last five years. Um, I've had multiple stints where I was without a home, where I was a nomad with my backpack, working online, getting to travel the world. It was beautiful. And that's amazing. What, how, did, how did that happen? Well, how, how did you grow up in Thailand? I mean, because you just said before the show, you, your mom lived in uh, San Diego and you kind of live in Kansas now and you grew up in Thailand. That sounds like a really interesting story. I mean, I didn't grow up in Thailand. I had my coming of age there. I was 23 oh, okay. to 28. So I, I moved there after college. Um, I don't know. I had a lot of pain in my life at that point. I was working some soulless marketing job for some big company that didn't mean anything to me. My girlfriend of three years had broken up with me. Um, I got a, a bad concussion, my second bad concussion in my life. And I was kind of in the dark for about six weeks. And it was during that time that I realized, like, I have a much greater calling than than what I'm currently doing. Let's go figure it out. And wow, just changed everything up and moved to Thailand by myself. So why why Thailand? Why did you go? Why did you bounce to Thailand of all places? Well, I had done a study abroad semester in Morocco, mm -hmm. um, and I loved living in a culture that was super different than America. Um, so I wanted to go to one of the Asian cultures this time. And I had done a lot of work in like Chinese medicine and um, herbs and massage and things of that nature. And I knew Thailand was like a good place for these kind of things. The weather was warm. I was tired of having such cold bones. I was living in Minnesota for, the, for my college time for five years. So I wanted a warm place. I wanted like warm people. I wanted to be able to teach and I don't, you don't have to have a big certification or something like you do in Japan or Korea to go teach. Um, I wanted like a good balance of like work and life. I just didn't want to be there for a career only. Like I'm there for, for myself, like learning who I am. And it just seemed what like was a good that, balance uh, of all those. Yeah. What, how, what, what did you find? Did you find that the, what you had in your mind is the image of what it would be like actually was pretty close to that. Did you meet a lot of people and kind of lay down some roots? I think so. I mean, yeah. So I, I got to live in a village. I taught 400 local students at a public school, fifth and sixth graders. Um, it was super fun to like, you know, make up games. I was just a conversation teacher. So we'd make up games, we'd play sports, we'd do drawings, we'd have I don't know, reenactments of American type of events and stuff. And uh, I love that. And then the traveling component was fantastic. Going to beaches and meeting people from Australia and, you know, England and France and I, I mean, every single country pretty much in the world comes to Thailand. So it was like this melting pot of like cultural backpackers that have a similar zest to such get after rare, life. Yeah, such a rare gift to give yourself, though, is the ability to go and actually spend time with other cultures and and see that America kind of isn't the only way. It's not even necessarily the right way. It's just a way. And um, I've, I've always, because I, I lived in Japan for several years. I lived overseas in the Middle East for uh, a few years. Um, I've, I've traveled quite extensively. And so I, I don't know. I, I don't like saying, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm like cultured or anything like that. I'm still just, you know, it's an Irish kid from Kansas. But uh, the, the point is, is like, I just think that at all the more experiences like that you can give yourself or give, you know, your family, your kids, the better off they're going to be, the, the better rounded, the more well-rounded they'll be, the greater understanding more tolerance they'll have so that's that's cool i didn't know that about you yeah and then a big gift of this is uh i've moved back to kansas now i'm from kansas too by the way yeah um and uh i brought my thai wife with me so now i have thailand <laughs> with me there and, you go you know, now you she's get... gonna be a great mother and all those sort of things 
now do you get i mean now you get pad thai whenever you want dude i love thai food god I, just spicy as ever i ordered this is a complete sidebar but i ordered thai food the other night and i always put very spicy at the bottom of it and most of them here in southern california still won't like send it to you blazing hot uh, and wherever I ordered from last night, she sent that stuff over. It was, I couldn't eat it. It was so hot. Um, it was beautiful. My, my, you know, my lips are burning. My mouth, my throat was burning. It was terrible. <laughs> Wonderful all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had the spiciest pizza in my life last night. She tried to put some sort of like hybrid Thai pizza thing together. Woo. That was pretty <laughs> intense. I love it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, also another thing about me is I'm an entrepreneur too. I'm full-time for 18 months now. Um, I guess I retired from the classroom of teaching and so forth. I got my master's degree in San Francisco at some point, uh, 2018. Um, and then just with my wife's immigration stuff and me feeling called to come back to Thailand, I decided the let's do entrepreneurship. So nice. I went full-time into here, this podcast and then real estate as well. I have a real estate startup company with two, uh, two co-founders and I'm excited to talk to you about entrepreneurship as well. It's yeah, let's do it, man. Travel and entrepreneurship is so cool. I love it. Yeah. Cool. So I'm just really intrigued by the title of your book. Like you wrote this book called The Nomadic Wealth Formula. What, what was the impetus to that? Why is nomadic wealth so important? What does, what does that mean? What does the nomadic wealth do for people? Why is that so important? Yeah. Um, thank you, by the way. First, well, let me put it this way. I've been talking about this concept for a few years. Uh, I, I saw kind of the change and we were, we were doing really well. The economy was just exploding. But I, you know, having having been a currency trader for a number of years, I, I kind of was looking at it going, I don't I don't think this I don't think this economy is as healthy as people think. And I was talking with my audience, just telling them, listen, I, I think that we're about we're headed for another recession. And I said, I don't know what when it's going to happen. I don't know what the catalyst is going to be, but it's going to be bad. And we I had examples as to why I thought that was the case. And I said, you just need to start working, start working towards controlling the source of your income. Go go back to go back and learn a new skill. Right? If you if you're in any way afraid that your your skills might be becoming obsolete or your job may move to China or any of these other things that people are freaking out about, um, you need to start making some changes in your own life. And then after after uh, coronavirus hit and everybody locked down here in America, uh, I, I watched like almost instantly 40 million people go on unemployment. And I thought, you know, this is what I've been talking about for the last couple of years. But I said, I need I need a new way to kind of explain this that's going to be catchy and, and the people people can wrap their heads around. And it's so throughout that whole two or three year process, when I was shifting my show and was talking more about entrepreneurship, I was trying to come up with a good way to explain what it was that I that I was talking about. And after coronavirus hit, I said, well, this is it. This is how you move to a new place. This is how you keep your business going in uh, the heat of a recession. Um, this is what I've been talking about. And I said, uh, you know, what about this idea? They have this concept of, of, uh, of nomadic entrepreneurs or uh, nomadic workers. The digital nomad is another term that gets thrown around quite a bit. And I said, well, what if, we, what if I wrapped around this concept of nomadic wealth, which is, hey, not only do I have income, I'm also saving money, which means I'm spending less than I'm making. And because of the way my wealth comes to me, the way my money 
money comes to me, I can technically go anywhere, uh, which makes me nomadic. Uh, and so the concept isn't, isn't really about you not having a home. It's about you being able to lay down your roots wherever you want to at any time. Um, and for a lot of people, that's a hard thing because, you know, you and I, we've traveled around, we've been in other cultures, we've lived in other countries. For most people, the idea of moving from, you know, Kansas City to, to, to Oklahoma City is a frightful decision. But we're at a place in our world now where everything's getting flatter and, and people are not going to, I don't think people are going to go back to work the way they did before. I think they're going to be a lot more remote workers. People realize, hey, we can cut down a lot, a lot of our costs by just having people work remotely. And so as all of those things begin to change, I think that the best thing we can do as uh, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, is, is to start focusing on how do I start something that can bring me in some income? And as you've noticed, I'm sure in your entrepreneurial career is that replacing a, a, 30, a, a $40,000, $50,000 a year income is not terribly difficult to do online today. Uh, and especially if you follow some of the things that you know, I talk about in the book and that I teach, uh, you can have in many cases, double, triple, quadruple your income just simply by choosing to take control and uh, and go out and 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 make the money yourself rather than working for somebody else. So the book was really my way of expressing and and speaking to people who were at a place in their life where they were waking up and they realize, hey, my income's not a guarantee, my job's not safe even though I, I thought it was. And that was this was my way of 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 teaching people what I think is a better way to live. Beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, and living out in Thailand, I was in Chiang Mai. It's kind of one of those world capitals of digital nomad yeah. um, people. And one of my best friends was a digital nomad. Now he's my business partner. He moved from Bali to Kansas City to do our real estate startup, which that's I so thought funny. was wow. absolutely incredible. Yeah, yeah that's, that, that's a big people. change. <laughs> you meet all wow. these people out there that have tapped into this. Like You can live for five times cheaper and make more money online. Um, and like live the kind of holistic lifestyle you want. You can go to the spa and you can have like meaningful conversations with friends and yeah. you can take care of your health and also have wealth. Well, I mean, and I subscribe to, I pay like a hundred bucks a year. I think it's nomadlist.com. Have you been, uh, no, uh, hang on nomadlist. Com. Yeah, it's called nomadlist.com. And basically what they do is they they rank the countries based on safety, internet, fun, all, all of that stuff. And uh, Indonesia, like Bali, Thailand, those places are always, it's always super cheap and it's always great internet, great people, super safe. And so um, my fiance and I have looked at moving to Bali, oh, maybe for three, four, five months next year, just to, just to kind of hang out and see, because you can really live like a king out there for nothing. Same thing with places like Panama. I had a guest on my show yesterday and uh, he lives in Panama and like a 4,000 square foot penthouse apartment for like 2000 bucks a month. It's just, it's insane. Uh, and so it's, those are the kind of things that you can do if you set up your life uh, correctly. And all, all, my whole point is just like, I just want people to live whatever, I want people to be able to live whatever life they want. So if they just want to be in the mountains and don't want anybody messing with them and, you know, they just want to, you know, make enough money to, to live and go fishing every day. Well, dude, I want them to have that life. But I think too many people want to travel. They want to see the world. They want the ability to go um, and, uh, and maybe have a little less financial stress in their lives. And they don't know how to do that. It seems very far away. And so my goal is to 
to is to bring that vision closer and to give people a roadmap on how they get there. Do you have some sort of testimony yourself where you were you were your avatar in the past where you were you were failing to live that life of freedom and have that sort of wealth and have the travel like what is it about your path that made you get, feel called to this kind of purpose? No, I I feel bad. I fell into it backwards. I didn't really realize what I was doing when I did it. So I'd been working overseas for a military uh, contracting company doing security work in Iraq and Afghanistan for a few years. And um, my first daughter was born and I didn't I when you do that kind of work, you're gone probably seven months out of the year. And for me, that's too much to not see my kids. And so uh, at that point, I decided I wanted to do something different, but I didn't know what. And I ended up studying uh, the financial markets, studying trading, I traded futures and currencies, and I got pretty good at it. And I decided I wanted to come home and do that full time. But instead of starting a hedge fund, I started an education company for because it was a lot cheaper and a lot easier, basically. And um, that digital company ended up growing to be, you know, a multi-million dollar brand that uh, had clients in over 110 countries. And I ran the whole thing out of, uh, a, 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 you know, a little space I rented in Lenexa in Kansas. Wow. And yeah. And so uh, I, I was kind of living that dream. And so it, it and then so I did that for like six or six or eight, no, eight years, eight or 10 years, started the podcast and all that stuff. And then I realized, you know what, I'm just tired of teaching trading. Um, I don't want to do that anymore. It's very repetitive. It's the same thing over and over again. And after doing it for eight years, I was just like, I'm tired of it. Uh, but I did not want to leave the information business that I was in. I didn't want to leave that space. And I said, well, what do I want to do? Well, in building this, you know, three, four, $5 million company, whatever it was when we left, um, in building that company, I spent most of my time doing marketing and sales and advertising and, and creating a brand for myself and for my company. And uh, I said, I think I, I think I want to teach people how to do that. I really enjoy that. I enjoy that more than I enjoy teaching trading. And so why don't I start a company that helps clients do what I've done? Because unlike, unlike most people who teach this stuff, normally when you go to these folks and like, I'm going to teach you how to grow your business online, they might have built one successful business. Um, and who, who even knows? Um, but I had built three or four in in three or four different industries. So I, you know, I had a, a, an education company in one of the toughest industries in the world, which is the financial world. Um, I had a top ranked podcast in my niche. We had over 30,000 listeners every single day. Uh, I'd done a history, a TV show for the history channel. Um, so I, I had, I had done a lot of different things over the course of that time. And uh, I thought, well, who better than to help people than somebody who's done it, not in one industry, but three, and now stepping into a fourth. So that was kind of how I got started. And then as I, as I looked at what a lot of people were dealing with, especially through my podcast, I, I figured out that, you know what, most of these people don't even understand. They don't even have a concept of, oh, I don't have to work for somebody else. Oh, I don't have to be tethered to uh, my company in, in Alabama. You know, I can go anywhere. I can do anything. I, I value, my skills have value. And we started talking about this stuff on the show and it just kind of took root. And that's, that's what drove me into teaching the way I do now, which is basically this concept of, dude, freedom is a byproduct of your wealth. The more money you have, the freer you will become. And so instead of money being a dirty thing that we have to be afraid to talk about and, and is somewhat uh, socially unacceptable, we should be talking about it a lot. Um, and we should be talking about how much wealth we want to accumulate because the more we have, the freer we'll be.
Yeah. Yep, exactly. I love how multidimensional your background is. I was also <clears throat> reading that you were a sniper at some point in the Marines and as well as like a wealth coach. And yeah, you have a whole super multidimensional background. Yeah, I was I was in a sniper unit for uh, almost almost a year, but I was I never went to sniper school, and that's really important for your listeners and for anybody out there who is uh, <laughs> who is in the Marines who is a sniper because that's a that's a very uh, it's a very coveted and honorable title in the Marines, and and I don't want anybody thinking that I am claiming that title having not been. But I, I did I did work in a sniper team for about a year before I went to force reconnaissance unit, but I, I never went to sniper school. Thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> so it seemed like. <laughs> I mean, you said you're stepping into a fourth industry. You you want to share like how you interpret that fourth industry and and kind of you know what this next venture looks like for you. Yeah. So the industry the industry that I am in is the is the knowledge industry. So that that re- I didn't really move much from the trading education to the podcast to this. It's all still kind of in the same industry. It's a it's a digital information businesses. Uh, I think that those are hands down the very best businesses that anybody could start, especially if they're new to entrepreneurship, because they are, they are, they require no employees, um, very little startup capital to, to get them up and running and keep them running. Uh, they have very high profit margins when done correctly. Uh, and, uh, and you get to spend, you can do them part-time, which means you don't have to completely quit your job to start one. And last but not least, you, you make your living, helping other people get what they want. That's essentially what an information business is. So in a trading space, I was teaching people how to how to make money, how to stop losing money and then start making money in the stock market, in the currency markets. And then in my podcast, I was talking about politics and economics and culture and and people were entertained by that. And so they, they were getting something that they wanted there. Uh, and now in the education space I'm in now in, in business marketing and branding, uh, what I do is, is I help people raise their profile so that they can make charge more for what they do, acquire more customers, less buyer resistance, all of the things that we want as entrepreneurs. But that doesn't come without an understanding of marketing and branding. And so I work with companies and to do that, mainly people who are the primary face of their company. So other information, um, other people in the information business, chiropractors, uh, wealth advisors, money managers, those kinds of people who really have a difficult time um, differentiating themselves in their market, but they want to gain market share. So I work with them to help them do that. And so my my um, the way I position myself now, I guess what's different about me is that I'm I'm actually teaching the marketing, the sales, the branding side of things rather than it, rather than teaching them like business skills. So we don't spend I don't spend a lot of time talking to them about corporate structure uh, or, you know, how to start a sales floor or anything like that, how to manage employees. I don't do I don't work with people on that. We I could, but it's that's not as enjoyable for me as looking at somebody and saying, Hey, let's, let's find out, let's find out who you are. Like what you talked about at the beginning, right? Normally people don't think that's important. Uh, And I talk about this in a podcasting course that I teach is like, people don't think like, Oh, who wants to know my story? I mean, it's not that interesting. I just, I've lived in Thailand for a few years. No, it's extremely interesting. It's, it should be a lead in what you talk about as part of your story that you tell about who you are and why you do what you do, because 
it helps people begin to know, like, and trust you. And it's only after they know, like, and trust you that they're going to consider doing business with you, buying from you, and sending their friends to buy from you. And so we spend a lot of time, I spend a lot of time with my clients kind of carving that out and having them just tell me and talk about their lives and where they come from and why they're doing what they do and what they love about it. They don't think those things are important, but they're critical. Uh, and that story would never be drawn out. And the truth is, when I switched brands, when I wanted to be known for something other than a currency trader, uh, I went and did the same thing with uh, a, a guy who who does what I do. And I said, I'm too close to this. I, I need somebody else to look at this. This is my concept, my idea of what I'm trying to do, but I, I'm, I can't seem to get it right. And so we talked for about three hours and he drew it out. And at the end of that, I had a much clearer picture of who I was and what I was trying to do. So it's valuable tools for everybody to do mainly because oftentimes we're just too close to, we're too close to what we're trying to do to be able to see it. Can't see the forest for the trees, so to speak. And so having somebody on the outside to come in and help develop that is supremely uh, important and powerful as you grow. Right. Hey guys, Tom here, one of the team members of People of Purpose. And this year we're doing something a little bit new. We're opening up an opportunity for you to partner with us in this journey and keep the podcast going and growing by joining us on Patreon. We've got three different ways you can join us. Friend of Purpose, Partner of Purpose, and Inner Circle of Purpose. Each with their own perks and advantages. And if you want to find out more today, the link out in the description below or go to www.patreon.com slash people of purpose podcast again that one's www.patreon.com slash people of purpose podcast and sign up today we look forward to seeing you in the community and helping you to reach your dreams and meet your goals this 2021 Here's to becoming people of purpose. What are some of the tenants that, that create a good, powerful personal story that, that kind of have this like narrative arc where you know what you lead with, you know where it's going and you get people kind of captivated and, and drawn in and engaged mm-hmm. with that story and want to be on that journey with you? Well, you did it at the beginning of the show. So the easiest way to think about it is people always overcomplicate it. I mean, what does a good story? A good story contains three things, setup, conflict, resolution. That's it. And so you did it in the story that you told me. You said, you know, I was, uh, uh, I was, coming, out of, I was coming out of college um, and uh, I was working at a job I didn't like. All of a sudden, girlfriend broke up with me. Had I got this really bad concussion and I couldn't see and I, I, I needed a change. So that's your setup in your conflict. So now you're, you're having problems. You, you came in from a space uh, out of college. Here's everything that was going on. It was all broken. Here's the conflict. How are we going to resolve it? I just hopped on a plane and I went to Thailand spent several years living in Thailand. Right. And, uh, and what came out of that and the way I would, and actually I'd try, I'd try to draw it out of you as we were talking. I said, so, Oh, so did you meet a lot of people there? Did you, you know, did you develop some relationships? What happened to that conflict? Right. Right. So to clean up that story, all we have to do is we just need to clean up the conflict and, and give a little resolution, which would be something like, and you know what, it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I met so many incredible people and digital nomads that live there. And it just, you know, it changed my perspective on life. 
life. And I was able to come back to Kansas and start this new company with two people. One of them that I met while I was in Thailand and moved all the way here. I mean, dude, that's, that's a freaking story. That's a great story. Um, but that's all it is. It's a, that's, that's set up conflict resolution. And as long as you're doing that in, in everything that you do, uh, not only is your audience entertained, they're, they they feel closer to you. Another thing that can really help are, are disclosures. I mean, uh, harmful disclosures or what we consider to be harmful. So if, for example, uh, let's say your story was a little different. You said, I, I got out of school and I was, uh, you know, I was, <laughs> I was working at this job and I, I kind of fell in with the wrong guys and I started, I got addicted to meth and, you know, my teeth were falling out and I ended up in a gutter and, you know, they had to take me in. So see, we can, we can actually create a little bit more of that conflict if we need to. And, and by creating some disclosures, because it's not, you don't hear a lot of people talking about their alcohol addiction, about the drug addiction that they had. But when you tell that story to people, that is a, a potentially damaging disclosure and people instantly feel closer to you because you've shared this very intimate part of your life that, that doesn't frame you in a very good light, um, but in reality does wonders for you in terms of building trust and relationship with the people you want to do business with. Uh, and so those are some of the things that you can do, but it is, it's not overly complicated, but finding, finding the right story, finding the right message so that you can be magnetic to your ideal prospect, your ideal client. Um, is more difficult than I think people give it credit for. Right. And then how did you layer in a podcast with yours? I, I saw at one point your podcast was having 30,000 daily listeners, number mm -hmm. one libertarian podcast. What did you, what were some of those like high leverage things you did to, to scale that podcast at that level to where you, you know that people are paying attention to your personal brand? Yeah. Well, the first thing I did was I, I didn't, I, I had no following, had no history in politics or, or anything like that and no degree in economics. And so the idea that I was going to start a political and economic show seemed somewhat, um, I don't know, arrogant, but it, it was, I think that's good in most cases to have a little bit of arrogance uh, and, and to, to be willing to go out and try. And so I just wanted to talk about it. I, I've been studying uh, finance and international banking and central banking for so long because it relates to currency trading so closely that I, I just wanted to be able to share with people what I knew because I felt like I, I understood better how an economy should work if it wants to function the best for the most amount of people. And, and so I started the show doing that. And one of the big things I did was I stepped into the show like I was already the the greatest po the greatest podcaster in that space. So I opened the show and I was already talking like I this is the most important show you guys need to be listening very Donald Trumpy I guess in in the way you I approached it right it's like, it's very much the this concept of this is the show you need to be here this is why it's important I'm going to and even if you listen to the show today I'm really fond of saying things like you know if you want to know what's going to happen tomorrow listen to this show today you know don't doubt me I'm always right you know these kinds of things are when you as you listen to the show you start to recognize that's that's part of the that's part of the entertainment value that's that's part of the uh, uh, i don't know the um as part of my caricature when i when i get behind the microphone but it grew mainly because i was confident i i invested a lot of time and money in doing the show well and most importantly is once i got a few bucks in my pocket i started buying advertising on other people's shows 
Uh, it's the one thing that I contribute to gr the growth of my show over anything else is that I took any money that I got in for the show, I immediately uh, spent that money on, on on traffic on other website on other on other websites, but really on other podcasts. So I'd go to other podcast hosts that that were in a, the same niche as me, and I'd say, "Hey, can I give you can I give you two hundred and fifty bucks? Can I give you a thousand bucks? And will you tell people about my show on your show?" And most of them, I, I mean, most podcasters don't make any money. So you show up with 500 bucks. And you're like, hey, will you read this ad five times for me on your show over the next, you know, over the next four or five weeks? And they're like, yeah, man, absolutely. And that's how I grew my show is that people would hear my, my name on other people's shows that they listen to. They'd come over and listen. They'd like my show and they'd stay a listener. And it worked for me because I was confident that if, if I could get them to listen, that they would stay. Um, it would it would not have worked if they'd come over and heard my show and my show wasn't entertaining. It wasn't informative. They didn't get much out of it. it. They would just they wouldn't come back. But it turned out I figured out I could acquire a listener for about two dollars. And once I figured out that I could acquire a listener for two dollars, it became a math game. I mean, like, OK, if I want 30,000 at the time, we had, I don't know, 5000 listeners. So if a $2 a listener, if I want 30,000 listeners, that's, I means I need to get 25,000 more listeners at $2 a listener. That's $50,000. That's what I got to do. $50,000 gets me there. And that's what we did. Slowly but surely, we started buying more and more advertising. And I, don't, I did not spend $50,000 to acquire those 30,000. It actually worked a lot better than I thought because what happened was as the show grew, not only was I getting the people that I purchased as listeners, but I was also getting all of this other organic growth. So I think all in all, we probably spent 10 or $15,000, maybe more than that, maybe a little more than that on, on advertising, uh, maybe 20,000 over the course of a couple of years. But that $20,000 turned into um, the advertising revenue that the show generated. We probably made $300,000 a year off advertising. So, you know, you start doing the math on that and you're like, oh, was it worth, worth $20,000 to make three hundred dollars a year? Yeah, it is. Uh, and that's the way we look at it. That's why I look at all advertising and marketing inside of, uh, inside of what we do here is it's, it's an investment that eventually will pay a dividend beyond what we, what we spent to, uh, you know, on the For marketing. Sure. For sure. Can you take the listeners through how the $20,000 of ad spend equates to $300,000 of revenue? What was it that you did to monetize that podcast? And kind of what was that evolution um, on those products and services you offered people? Um, yeah, so that's just the that's just advertising revenue. So I I when I hit about 6,000 7,000 listeners, uh, I one of my listeners were one of my listeners, his aunt worked for Westwood One, which is a huge uh, ad buying agency for a radio. They do I mean, just a, a ton of it. And they were starting a podcasting division. And his aunt apparently was going to be heading up this new podcast division. And so they ended up giving me a call and my show was the very first show on Westwood one that, that they ever took on as an, as an advertiser. Um, and they started selling ads on my show. And as your show grows, you can charge more for your advertising. And we were charging somewhere around, I don't know, at the peak, we were charging somewhere around three, four, five hundred or $600 a spot. And I had three spots a day and I was doing the show every day. So you're talking five days a week, 
times it, what was it three six uh, you know uh, it's six hundred eighteen hundred dollars a day times five days a week or thirty days of twenty five days a month whatever it is and uh, it was it calculates to a lot of money <laughs> and so what happens is is it t- costs me two dollars to acquire that listener but then I continue to make money on that listener every single day that they listen. So every day that they download, every day that they're subscribed, I'm making money from that listener. And all I got to do is make sure he's entertained and walks away feeling better for the experience. And that's what's true. That's true for most things in life and business is that if people just walk away feeling like they were better for the experience, whether it's a conversation they had with you over a dinner table or whether it's a business uh, meeting that you had or a podcast that they're listening to, if they just walk away feeling like, man, that was a, a valuable use of my time or, or wow, that's a, what was a really great thing that person did. Uh, you're going to be in really good shape. So that's what I try and focus on. I just want people to leave feeling better for the experience. Definitely. I absolutely love that. And I would say the same thing is true as me. I, I would say my, um, the thing that I haven't focused on is the strategy aspect of how to go and get other people on board. Like I focus on really great conversations with people and then I shut the computer and my team takes care of it. And then I go and I, I make more content and I, I do my startup business based off the principles I learned from here. I, this is the next thing I need to build out is how to, how to go and, and scale an audience as well. It's really cool to, to hear how you, how you think about that. Some of the things we talk about remind me of uh, Dean Graciosi and Tony Robbins and uh, Russell Brunson's course, the knowledge-based business. Have you mm. come across that? I, I know about it. I haven't, I haven't taken the course. It's, uh, um, but I, I do know they launched that. I don't know when they launched that. They launched that a year, a year or so ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I yeah. Yeah. Well, Dean's a great guy. I don't, I don't know much about Tony um, or, or, or Russell. Everybody, everybody I talk to who knows Russell says he's a, a, an amazing guy. I've, I've met Dean. Dean's a, uh, just seems like a wonderful person um, on camera and off. But I don't know much about Tony. Uh, I do know that uh, I'm, it's, it's probably a great course. I just have never, I've never been there. I've never been through it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's similar. They think that you should... Um, take the knowledge that you have that only you have and you make a brand around it in a way that engages people to it. Their, their model that's, that they like to use is masterminds. You're just bringing other people together that share the same vision for their future and figuring out how each other can, can overcome their challenges and get there. Um, uh, yeah. It sounds really similar to, to what you've kind of put yeah, together. Yeah. Dean, Dean is uh, he Dean bought mastermind.com a few years back and, uh, or yeah, a couple of years ago. And he's been, he's been kind of like, he's kind of co-opting the mastermind term. It's a, that's mm-hmm. originally that that's an old deal. That's an old Andrew Carnegie term. That's, that's where that kind of comes from this idea of having masterminds and surrounding yourself with people to help. But in, Carnegie's mind, it was something different. So in his mind, a, a mastermind group was a guy who was in the steel industry, a guy who was in the ore industry, guy who was in the, yep. uh, the, the, the shipping industry. And we put all these guys in a room and we all cooperate together at, to the detriment of anybody else in our market so that we can have cheaper prices and, and we can all profit. Uh, and so that was, that was his idea of a mastermind. And now largely what people think of with mastermind is, well, it's one guy who's the mastermind and he's assembling all of these other people who are all, you know, really high net, high, high net worth people or high producers. And you pay like 40, $50,000 a year to be in the room. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and what, what, what Dean has done now is he's kind of like, he's kind of chipped away at that to where now, Oh, a mastermind is just, you know, three idiots in a room who none of them know what they're doing, but they're all working together to try and figure it out. Right. Uh, in my mind, that's not a mastermind. That's, that's just the blind leading the blind. Uh, can it be more, can it be effective? Uh, yeah, it can be like, if you get three people who are all trying to do the same thing, and none of them have a clue how to do it, but they're all diligent about trying to learn. You, that's three minds, three minds together working. But that's rarely the way it works. Normally, you got one guy who's only half, you know, half committed to it. One person who's a real go getter and who's doing all the work, and then one guy who's there, kind of like sort of doing something, but really he's just snagging all the good ideas from the one person doing the work. And so it doesn't end up work. It doesn't end up accomplishing what you want to accomplish. Uh, but uh, yeah, anyway, yeah, that's that's my take on it. Yeah, I've been reading Napoleon Hill's books. Uh, he has this huge one called The Law of Success. And this is the beginning of the book is all about what the mastermind is. And it's, it's like he's talked about. It's just like this harmonizing force that kind of exists above and beyond that group of people. And that allows for them to, to make these breakthroughs across their industries and, and so forth. And there are great, there are places like that, like Joe Polish has a, you know, 25K group uh, and he has a, a, a big event that he holds every year. I mean, th those are truly, those are true mastermind connection meetings because you got guys from every walk of life, brick and mortar businesses, you know, online businesses, drop shipping business, everything you can possibly imagine in there. He's got guys who make a million dollars a year and he's got billionaires who are in that group. And so you, you kind of like, it's, it is a, that's a more of a true mastermind the way I think of them. Right. In your book, the nomadic wealth formula, do you, do you touch on this concept or what do you think, uh, what do you kind of point to are those, uh, those pillars that you need to kind of, um, to come in contact with and to be successful in that journey out of the nine to five to living, you know, the whole four hour work week style life. Yeah, I don't talk much about masterminds. I think once you I, once you hit a certain level in your business, you you look around and you're like, I don't know anybody who's at my level. Uh, and, and so at, at some point as the business grows, you're going to get to a point where, hey, you're not a startup anymore. Like you're actually doing a, a fair amount of business and you've you've learned from some mentors. You've had some people who've kind of guided you along the way. But now you're kind of looking around going, well, dude. I don't know anybody doing better than me right now. And that's not a good position to be in. You don't want to be the guy in the room where that you're, that's, that's the very best uh, because you can't learn, you can't grow. And when that happens for you or for anybody in your audience, at that point, you start going, hmm, where are some people at who are doing better than me? Most of them will be in uh, an easy way to do it is to go and find one of these mastermind groups to go and join strategic coach by Dan Sullivan. Um, any of these things uh, will help take you to that next level. And at that point, it won't be an issue because all you got to do is write a check. And so it'll be like, oh, okay, so for like $30,000, I can get access to all these people who are doing way better than me. And I could talk to them about all the stuff that I can't figure out how to do and I can get help from them and vice versa. Oh, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, I'll do that. And that's what you end up doing. You just cut a check. Uh, I mean, well, Dean Graziosi says it. You write a check to go faster. Um, and that's exactly what I do. Every chance I get is write a check to go faster. Okay, cool. Thank you for listening to part one of this interview with Jason Stapleton on helping people find their higher purpose and develop the nomadic wealth necessary to control their own future. 
Be sure to listen to next week's episode as we wrap up our conversation with Jason talking about the importance of his morning planning sessions and how he uses them to capture his sense of purpose on a daily basis. Knowing what you need to work on each day to achieve your goals, his advice on bridging the gap between 9 to 5 work and entrepreneurship, what makes him stand out in his ability to draw the inner greatness in someone else, and how he sees his purpose evolve in the next 10 to 20 years.